Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 224 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Adam Hoke. Adam was on a previous episode of Yoga Land. You can go check him out on episode 181. That was an episode that I did with Jason and with another UK-based teacher, Adam Hustler, and I will have Adam Hustler on again soon because I am going to feature each of the people who are mentoring Jason's online students in the virtual 300-hour training this year. So he has 11 different mentors who are doing breakout sessions with their mentees, and Adam Hope is one of them. He is also obviously a fantastic teacher in his own right. He is based in the UK. He started his yoga practice in New York, and I really enjoyed getting to know Adam better through this interview, and I know that you will too. I got so much out of talking to him. He talks about how he started out. He, he has a theater background, a fellow theater geek like myself, and I'm sure so many of you out there listening. And he talks about the beginning of his teaching, which was over 10 years ago, and how you know it was more of a performance-based thing. He's always loved vinyasa yoga. But he talked about how he's really grown over the years and how he tries to help people learn to embody self-compassion in his classes, in his vinyasa classes, which, which is, I think, not an easy thing to do, to really actively try to teach people how to do that. So he shares how he does that. And he also shares how he endeavors to truly hold space for people. And again, What's What I loved about talking to him is he's so thoughtful. He's really thought about a structure, a soft structure, right? But a, but a structure for how to do that. If you are not in Jason's online training and you want to study with Adam Hoke, he has a great website with live stream schedule, on-demand classes, courses. He has a podcast called Yoga with Adam, which is asana classes. And he is also co-leading an immersion, a 15-hour immersion with Naomi Anand, May 21st through the 23rd. And he says, it's our brand of restorative flow. So I will put a link to that on the show notes page and enjoy this conversation with Adam. Hi, Adam. It's so great to have you back on the podcast. I'm so excited to be back. It's the second time. Exciting. I know. It's really just an excuse for me to get to talk to you again. (laughs) Any excuse. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So I know that we talked last time you were on, we talked about your background, grew up in Florida, went to NYU, discovered yoga there. But when we were talking this time, you said that you feel like there was another period in your life that was really challenging. You had a lot of loss and that you feel like that was really the first time yoga became like an integrated part of your life? Yeah, I mean, I've been feeling very reflective lately. I just turned 40, so I'm like going through this whole like reflective period. But when I was doing my yoga teacher training, uh, I had just turned 30. And I had been doing yoga for, you know, the 10 years prior to that, sort of off and on and in gyms, out of gyms, at studios and, you know, in my living room or wherever. Uh, and sort of loved it, but you know, it was just sort of this like casual thing I did. And I think a lot of people have different phases in their yoga practice, which is why I've been reflecting on this. But when I was doing my teacher training, I was still sort of riding that wave of, you know, isn't 
yoga fantastic. They're still with all this sort of novelty, you know, I was learning all this new stuff. But right after I turned 30, while I was doing my teacher training, and I think I had just been coming back from the yoga studio, I had, I got an email and I looked at it. Uh, it was from uh, a friend of, or the mother of my best friend in Florida that had suddenly died. Mm. And so there was sort of like this, like, wow, okay. Sort of like wake up call into being an adult and like sort of real grief and real feeling. And I remember back very clearly, like I had an obligation on my teacher training then to go assist the, the lead teacher on the training. And I just felt so sort of lost in that room dealing with people just, it just seemed to me like they were just doing exercise and I hadn't, I wasn't making the connection in my mind and in my heart and my body yet that this thing yoga could deal with something as catastrophic as, as like really sudden unexpected grief. Like I did, I hadn't, mm-hmm. I hadn't laid the groundwork for that yet. So, that, I mean, that was like the first thing that happened, <laughs> you know, year, year 30 of my life, but that, so that was sort of brewing, but I got very distracted by the teacher training. And I got married that year. So I had this like huge, exciting, happy thing. Yeah. And so I was sort of riding, okay, the, the roller coaster has now gone up, you know, woohoo, here I am. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this exciting thing. All while my teacher training is, you know, brewing along. And then, you know, so marriage happened, wonderful, happy, fantastic, all family and friends together. And then just a few months later, I had been again at the yoga studio doing like, I think it was a, a Matthew Sanford, like brilliant weekend workshop. And I come home and then get a call in, in the middle of the night that my father had died. Oh, and that was a sudden, like unexpected as well. Uh, yeah. Unexpected sudden. Oh my gosh. Um, so, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not bringing you know, like everyone goes through grief. And so I'm not bringing this up because I think like I've gone through something unusual. I just, I'm bringing it up because it, it has sort of accompanied my journey into yoga and my journey into becoming a yoga teacher is, is sort of learning how to manage these huge emotions and learning how yoga fits into this. Because, mm-hmm. of course, so I, you know, here in London, get the call, my father has unexpectedly died in an accident. So my partner packs my bag. And I fly home and it's, you know, like for anyone who's been in these sort of sudden grief situations, you know, you're just like a zombie. Um, You sort of somehow get to where you need to get to next. And so I arrive in Florida, unpack my bag among everything else that's going on. And the yoga mat is in there, which Mm -hmm. my partner had, of course, put in for me. Now I looked at it and I thought like, what am I going to do with you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what does like, I don't anything, need this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, what is anything I have been doing over the past 10 years really have to do with like this huge grief and this loss and this second loss this year and all these ups and downs of this year? Because, you know, like this first phase of my yoga journey, like from, you know, when I had started at NYU onwards. It was just like, it was just great. I got a little stress relief. I felt good. I had the communal experience of being in a classroom with other people, of listening to great Kirtan music and like doing my thing. And just sort of like, I just, it was just fun. And, and I just felt good from it. And, and like, you know, like that's great. That's a great place to be in your yoga journey. But 
I knew that now either yoga is going to go out the window and I got to figure something else out yeah. or especially if I'm on this teaching journey, yoga has to interact with this. Yoga has to interact with this. It, it, I have to somehow see that what I've been doing and training and practicing for a decade can handle this and give me s- some way through this or out of this or whatever it's going to be. But so clearly ha- it did. Like how, how, yeah. How did you well, fare? Well, sort of what happened was so I'm home and I had to be home with my mother for a few months because she, she you know, was not doing well. I remember one of those like first nights, you know, like no one's sleeping, no one, you know, nothing's happening that she was just, you know, like inconsolable and, and, you know, she wouldn't mind me talking about this, but sort of like inconsolable and you know, like, like basically screaming with grief in the middle of yeah. the night. And I remember going down there to her bedroom and what we ended up doing was just sort of like standing and breathing together in a half salutation, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, is it, I, like saying that sounds ridiculous, no, that, that, that what I chose to do, but like that, that was what the moment needed with the two of us just to breathe and move together. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, you know, well, not it, over the course of many years, sort of processing this, but it, it sort of, I could see that like yoga could handle this mm-hmm. and I can use my yoga practice to feel these big things. Like I've been reflecting on like, what is actually, you know, looking back on all these years of grief and whatever, like what does yoga actually give me? And I think it was just the, like the capacity to feel these big emotions without pushing it away mm-hmm. and without Crumbling. overreacting or yeah, yeah. shutting down, lash, lashing out. Like it, it helped me hold that space for myself, but also on the teaching journey, like my mother then was like my first student that got that part of me as teacher. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. And like you said, I mean, it, I've actually helped someone through a panic attack in that same way. And it is kind of like you're, you're trying to help by talking to them. You're trying to help by, you know, making them laugh. You're trying to help with this and that. And then the only thing you can get them to do is breathe. And that's the thing that works. And yeah, so she was so fortunate that you had that tool. Well, I feel so fortunate that I had that because I needed it too. Yeah, I I needed that one in like the relational moment with my mother, but for myself and, and, you know, grief takes many years, you know, especially big griefs take many years to sort of work through, but the yoga practice then became for me an opportunity to, you know, breathe to feel, to sometimes just lie down and cry as people did Shavasana, mm-hmm. but also just also to have joyful moments. Like mm-hmm. I needed to go and sometimes to just go to a class and just sweat it out and move and just like do that like really fun thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's, yeah. I love that. Um, you wrote such a beautiful essay about your dad and oh my gosh, like he sounds like a really, obviously we're all really complex people, but just like his background coming from his background to where he seemed to be able to relate to you was, was pretty amazing. Um, it was a really beautiful essay. I encourage people to read it. Yeah. Well, thank you for reading. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was yeah, big part of my life, my teaching, even though he's been gone 10 years, it's, 
it's still there. It's still surprising. It's still, yeah, a good source of inspiration. Yeah. How do you feel like, how does that kind of come to you after all this time? How does it show up? How does he show up for you in your teaching? It's been interesting, like this, this sort of COVID times, being home and not being in a studio, like all of my practices felt like really independent. Mm-hmm. And even my teaching, even my teaching has felt like I'm just you know, mumbling to myself in my living room into, mm-hmm. a, into a microphone <laughs> to people. Um, so I've been doing actually a lot of meditation and practice that's, that's been about like summoning, summoning people and summoning people and memories and, and inspiration from past or from imagination to sort of guide and inspire. So I I found my, I found myself doing a lot of, a lot of that work where I just sit and think like, what would he say to me? Mm. Like if he was in this room with me right now, as I practice, what would he be doing? Yeah, I feel like he's he's there. Like any sort of experience I had of him was created in my own mind, you know, experienced in my own mind. So it's it's still there for me. Mm. Um, so I I just I I try to summon that when I need it. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been doing this this you may have done it, but uh, a, a Mister Rogers meditation. No, I've never heard of this. <laughs> Tell me I, about I, this. I, I know you're already excited, but there's <laughs> yeah. there's uh, some Mister Rogers, of course, the like the the uh, legendary children's presenter in the in the U.S. He did a meditation where you spend one minute sitting and sort of replaying the memories and the feelings of everyone who has loved you. Oh, that's so sweet. So you just sort of like sit with that and you get this sort of like, you know, flash of all these things through your mind and you you sort of feel like it's there with you. Um, Awesome. I love that. So, and I mean, it's a tearjerker, but it it is, I don't know. It's like, it's, I think it's important work because so we focus a lot on loss and stress and, but I've been trying to do a lot of meditations and practices for me, um, and also in my teaching that just remind us of what what, what we have. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just like a gratitude practice. It's it's like a lot more potent and and visual and and like embodied. Like you feel it. You feel that love. And sometimes you just give yourself the hug that you wanted to get from somebody else who's no longer with you. And yeah, I, it's yeah, it's powerful work. I'm with you. I think I think you and I are both. Well, first of all, I, I feel like we could be related. <laughs> I feel like we could be like little brother and sister or something like that. We just, I don't know. There's just, I feel a kinship with you. Um, and I think that when you are highly, you know, either when you're sort of a highly emotional person or a highly attuned tuned to other people's emotions, you're right. You can, I feel like I spent many years just wanting to understand my emotions. And so in order to understand them, I felt like I had to fully feel them. And then I would get into these spirals and then, and then I sort of feel like the work in this middle part of my life is really realizing that there's so much joy and there's so much happiness as well as all like the intense emotions. And that's what that, that meditation kind of reminds me of that. Whenever I lead meditation, when ever I lead loving kindness meditations and I do kind of different spins on it. It is always everyone's favorite because we just all, (laughs) we just all need those moments to set aside and like 
feel good and, and, and really conjure the compassion for ourselves and compassion for others and the love that we feel for others and the love that we feel for ourselves. It seems so basic, but we just don't do it enough. We do not. And actually, I think one of the biggest shifts in my teaching in the past few years is like a very active effort to include self-compassion practices. And lately it's been to include the loving kindness practices in meditations, but also trying to figure out like, what is that in a vinyasa flow practice? Yeah. What is that in an embodied practice? And I, you know, when I teach teacher trainings, I really, I tell my, the trainees, like, please don't teach just a handstand class that's really sweaty and then spend 90 seconds at the end talking about gratitude or whatever mm-hmm. and think you've taught a gratitude class because you have it. Yeah. Like you, you've given a 90 second lecture on gratitude or love and kindness or compassion or whatever to people who maybe are really receptive because they've been in their, their bodies, but you haven't taught a class about that subject. So I've been trying to really, so really how do you, figure out how that. do you, in, yeah, yeah. How do you invite them to weave it in more? Like you said, in a, in a, in a more active setting. Well, I've been thinking, all right, so like self-compassion is so important. We all want it, of course. And we all read, you know, beautiful books about it and do meditations. And then we go do our vinyasa practice and like, do they relate? So I've been thinking about and trying to teach like very simple things. I, I sort of make a joke about it. It's like, it's going to be hard for me to teach you to like fully love and embrace all aspects of yourself as the starting point. Mm-hmm. But maybe I can teach you to be really nice and kind and forgiving to your feet. And we, <laughs> we can start with some self-massage of the foot. And like, it's like silly to say that, but I, I believe that. Yeah. Like if we start with the feet, being really kind to them, give ourselves a foot massage or get the yoga tune-up ball out or whatever, and do that at the start of the practice. And then go through the rest of the practice and you know, sort of come back to that. And then, or we start weaving in more of that type of work and do lots of self-massage or, you know, like I, you know, for years with Jason, I've been doing, you know, I grab the thigh, press it out or put your hand there, engage into it. It, it, Lots of all different types of self-adjusts and whatnot. But I never really thought about the quality of the touch. Yeah. So I thought, all right, am I holding my leg or my arm? Like it's a mannequin, (laughs) like it's just like a thing. Or am I holding my leg like it's, you know, something that needs to be loved and cared for? And it's just about quality of touch Hmm. and what intention in it is as you bring in that touch. And I I think it's actually so important and that we don't think about it when we're doing all these grabs and stuff, you know, as we adjust ourselves and moves ourselves around in in a practice. But those little things make such a difference. And like the real, the real like light bulb for me is, I was working with Bo Forbes. I was doing a weekend with her um, as a student. And we were doing all sorts of variety of self-massage and touch and all sorts of other things. But she did uh, stomach massage, gut massage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever done this for yourself, but it, it's, you know. It's intense. It's intense. Yeah. And it, it brings up a lot of emotions for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And, you know, you can just name like 35 options, but I was getting into my gut massaging while she talked about the, like the quality of the touch and bringing kindness to yourself. And I thought, all right, for years, 
for years and years and years, like how many body image issues did I have with my stomach and the, the shape of it and mm-hmm. the look of it? And how many crunches did I do? How many core classes did I do? How many gym classes did I do? How many yoga core strength abdominal workshops did I attend as a student and teach as a teacher? Mm-hmm. How many times have I done that stuff to this region of me? And how much like stress and anxiety related gut problems have I had in my life? And how many, how much frustration and how many nutritionists have I seen? And how many, like all of that stuff for the gut. And then there it is just Bo saying, take like a finger and lightly massage yeah. and bring some kindness. And I thought I have never done such a thing to my body that yeah. way, that part of me. I have never just said, stomach, I like you. I'm going to care for you. So true. The abdominal massage I've done is totally different than what you're talking about, which is why I said it's a, so yes, I've never done that. I may have to do that soon. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's a wild ride. Yeah. yeah. I like that approach to embodying self-compassion in like a really active way. I've never, yeah, I've never thought about that. I, I love vinyasa flow yoga. I love really active practice. Like I could, I could probably do a lot of great self-care doing like purely meditation, restorative and breath practices. Yeah. Like that would feel really great. But yeah, the, the, the problem is my personality, my, like what I like to do is not that a hundred percent of the time. Like I still really want to do a vinyasa practice, right? but I've just been trying to sort of rethink about how I do all those things, how I use the language of vinyasa and, and sort of what, what I'm aiming it towards in my body and in my students. And I'm just trying to create a space where, where people can like form a relationship with their body that is kind, is compassionate, and is a little bit playful. Because mm-hmm. I always think like if I have this big classroom of students, you know, whenever I can get back into a classroom of students, but when I have this big classroom of students in person, like how many of those students, when I ask them to do something, are they doing it because like they love it and it feels good? Or like, are there a few that maybe if I'm asking them to do chaturanga and I'm congratulating them on how great their chaturanga looks, that they're doing that chaturanga because they're like beating themselves up because they think they need to have stronger arm muscles or be skinnier or to have whatever's going on in their life happen. And oh, I'm don't you think it's like a that. huge, yeah, it's like a huge percent of people in the class. Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm just saying like, that's the yeah. natural inclination. And so that's why they do need you. At Ori. That's why we do need a teacher. Yeah, to... well, that's just what I'm trying to think about and 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 shift and you know in whatever I can do in 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 my classroom, but just sort of create that space. And it, yeah. that's really is happening a lot you know, these days because since I'm not like in the momentum of being in a studio and like on that relentless week after week thing, it's, it just feels more intimate now on Zoom and I'm sort of in people's bedrooms and living rooms and it just seems quieter and we can we can do this work now without all the social pressure of, of people being in a crowded room. That's pretty cool. You know, I hadn't thought about that. And I'm about to talk to you, another teacher right after you. And I was prepping for you both at the same time. And she just happened to say that most people have been, you know, really having a hard time teaching on Zoom. And she's loving it because of exactly what you just said, that it's actually 
doesn't feel transactional. Whereas now when she's going into the studio and it's, there's all these COVID restrictions, it's feeling like more transactional in the studio than it is on zoom. So that is really nice to hear, but you're right. Like you're in people's homes and they're not, they're not having to worry about how it feels to caress their foot or whatever it is, you know, send energy to their body with someone next to them, someone behind them, someone in front of them. Like I'm a pretty open person and that's hard even for me sometimes, but it wouldn't be hard alone. Yeah. I mean, I have people make noises now and do all sorts of things. I never, never, ever did in the studio. That's awesome. I mean, like a lot has been lost. I, yeah. I, I really grieve for a lot that I don't get to do and yeah. like having that communal, like, like primal breathing together, social bonding, like that yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I miss that. And I think it's like so much of why I love teaching yoga and practicing yoga is that thing, that communal thing. But there is something special about the way we are all practicing now. And I hope people get this sort of taste of, of how they can dive deep uh, when and I keep that, keep that when they come back to the, the larger group. So we can yeah. have sort of both things simultaneous. I have a question, you know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking of another essay that you wrote about, about men. And I wonder, you're a guy. So, you know, I wonder from your perspective, if you think that this turning our attention toward ourselves and the way that we touch ourselves and, you know, just kind of literally and figuratively embrace ourselves. If you think that it's harder for men because it's just not, it's just not culturally as, I don't know, prevalent to, to sort of think about self-care. Yeah. Well, I can, I can speak from my perspective, which is a 40 year old white gay man. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's only, you know, so that this is my perspective growing up when I did with my father, when, you know, who was born in 1949 and uh-huh. growing up when he did that embodiment for my father. And for me growing up was about building up an external, like, I was like armor, external armor, like really strong muscular armor. Yeah. And what I saw in my father, because he grew up in a really violent home with a lot of alcoholism and 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 problems, and uh, he was a very sensitive person, but like like big muscle man. I think that was his way of sort of feeling strong in his heart yeah. was to feel strong in his body, and that's sort of what what I learned. And I actually think there is a lot of truth in that, that, that we, we gain emotional resilience through the physical resilience of our body. And I think you know, research does support some of that. So I think that's important, but sort of the problem is that putting, taking down that armor is hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, like, I never saw my father really cry or yeah. he would just sort of go just sort of to sort of zone out, just shut down, I guess, would, mm. would be the easiest way. Like when, when his, when his brother died, he just, I just remember him just sort of sitting in front of the television, just out zoned, oh, like, no, yeah. no, like nothing there, but you know, mm-hmm. like there was storm brewing. So I think that that is a little bit of the problem. And so like where, where I get annoyed, at least with the yoga world is when we try to market yoga to men, 
We often go to say like, all right, come in and do your core work. Come in and do all your arm strengthening. This is going to be a strong thing. And it's just like, they try to make it like this hyper-masculine thing to get men in the room. I've I've said a lot about it. (laughs) I'm sure sick of talking about that thing, but it's just like grow up people. I know, (laughs) totally. (laughs) It's just like, I'm sick of like trying to, if men can't handle like coming into a yoga room because they have to, handle like deal with their emotions and like do things that are softer and not just about muscle building if they can't handle it like they need to do their own damn work at this mm-hmm, point mm-hmm. like are we've i think we've moved past that and and the other pet peeve i'll bring up because i i yeah hopefully like with this larger audience we can put it to bed is when i hear or see things that say like real men do yoga oh yeah Ugh. that just drives me crazy i'm like what is a real man that's really awful yeah but it's so it's maybe maybe that sort of died but you know it was very prevalent for a long time no i yeah i don't think any of this is dead yet that's the problem you know what i mean yeah i don't think gender stereotypes are dead i mean just like we know like racism is not dead. i mean it's just like it's mind-boggling it's mind-boggling but it is true and I, i think the thing that i see in those messages is and this is really not talked about, but what I see is just how much pressure we put on men. Like women are better at talking about the body image pressure. And, you know, because women, I think I'm totally generalizing here, but I think culturally it is just more acceptable to express your emotions and to be communicative. And I don't see men talking about it as much, but I know, and I I think maybe a, a lot of that is there's not even an awareness of the pressure. It's just there to be a quote unquote real man, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And there, there's, at least in the UK, there's a big, like the suicide rates are, are like very high for men compared to every other thing they die from. So it, it is a problem. Of course, men's emotional life and how they manage it uh, is a problem and, like I believe, and I'm, you know, I'm sure we all do that, like a yoga practice that helps men feel and work through the aspects of them that feel really strong and, you know, explore things that are a little softer. It's, it's like, it's, it's hugely important and a great tool that we can offer. But like what I try to do for everybody, sort of talking about the, the emotional life and feeling things, is I try to just start each class with people checking in and just going through a deliberate process in their own heads of asking, how am I feeling? What am I feeling today? Mm-hmm. Where is it in my body? And this is stuff I learned from Bo Forbes. Um, just like, the, could we all sort of do like a casual version of this? Mm-hmm. But I think a really deliberate, lie down, how am I feeling? Am I anxious? <laughs> am I depressed? Yeah. How's my breathing? How's my gut? How's you know the thoughts in my head? Am I thinking about the past? Am I thinking about the future? Do I just want to like move and feel good or do I need to whatever? Yeah. Like the deliberate process is important because it helps you do a yoga practice that, that helps you express or work with how you feel. Or if you're in a group class, it, it sort of gives you information that says, like, I could go for it today. Or, you know what? I'm going to take the, 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 the lesser options because that reflects how I am. So it helps people navigate group classes, but it, it, individualizes, but also the, just the process of stopping and assessing and feeling, I think is the practice 
is the like important thing is that mm-hmm. when you learn to actually feel how you feel and not judge it or condemn it or push it away or act out on it, just simply feeling it and importantly feeling it where it is in your body mm-hmm. is hugely important because you know, I've had anxiety problems all my life. But one of the bigger learnings from yoga was learning how to, where that is actually in my body. Like what is the physical symptom of that? Mm-hmm. Not a, like the story I'm brewing in my head, but what is it? Is it a heart rate thing today? Is it a breath thing today? Is it a clenching thing today? Is it an abdominal thing today? What is it? Yeah. And then I can deal with that. Like I can't always deal with the, the larger story of it all, but if I take time to assess, I can, I can deal with the symptom. And then over time, then I can deal with the larger picture of it once I can manage the symptoms. Yeah, it's so true. And like, I think sometimes when you can identify it in your body or the effect that it's having on you physiologically, and then, like you said, you work with that, then the like mental emotional part lifts, you know, it has, it's that mind body connection. It's like, it has this magical thing. I mean, not always, but, and at least for that. I find like if I'm really, really in a tough time, right, it might only lift for that period where I'm doing that work, but still at least you get a respite from it, yeah. you know, and then you, you get a doorway into like, okay, I'm opening. This is, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You taste it. You know what it is to feel relaxed or calm. And so you, you can get back to it Yeah, because you know what it is. Yeah. 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 My kiddo has anxiety. And so we are, we, you know, and it's hard to work with a kid with this stuff. I mean, I think people, I always sort of thought, oh, you know, our child will understand mindfulness from such a young age because it'll be so experiential and in her. And let me tell you, not all kids are like that, right? Like they, they you know, sometimes they resist what their parents really want them to, to mm-hmm. do. And, and so you actually kind of see the human process that these things really do their learnings over time. And so we do spend a lot of time now, like, okay, well, how is that feeling in your body? And I'm, I'm kind of talking quietly because she's home. <laughs> so I should probably move on from this topic, but it is, it is just so it's just, it really is like such a foundational piece to working with, to working with emotionists. Like, where is it in your body? How are, how is it manifesting today? Like in you, where you feel it? And then you can go from there. I want to shift gears a little bit. And talk about, you said something so, that just spoke to me so much. So I have to ask you about it. In one one of the pieces of writing that you sent me, you said, when you started teaching yoga, because you had a theater background, you had to kind of learn to be what we all sort of casually think of as authentic. And you said, I had to learn not to perform me, but to actually be me. And I think you were talking about like in the yoga room as you were teaching, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh yeah. 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 I had the same exact experience when I started teaching. I taught yoga uh, part-time many years ago and I never actually got over it. Like, I think I went into my first class to teach and I thought I would be such a natural because I'd been performing my entire life. And when I stepped into my first public class, I choked. I could not believe, (laughs) couldn't believe I had to just walk around in my own voice and say things and tell people what to do. It was so strange. And I don't think I ever kind of got over the out-of-body experience of that. And so I just stopped teaching. So I would love to know kind of what that was like for you and how you how you dealt with it, how you got through it. <laughs> well, I was probably still working through it. But 
yeah, so I went to a theater school. I, I studied playwriting and theater. And so I thought like, okay, that's, that's really going to serve me. And it, and it did. Like yeah. the aspects of that really helped me that there wasn't so much of a, uh, like a, a nervous problem about getting in front of a room full of people and talking. Like that wasn't going to be a huge deal for me. But the issue was that I probably spent too much time thinking about, all right, what stories will I tell? And how is that going to link to everything <laughs> else? What jokes will I tell? What will I wear? What is like my public persona going to be? Oh, that's so cute. And I mean, this is all like, so you know, we talked earlier about like, when I started teaching yoga, I was going through a lot of grief and, and like all sorts of ups and downs. And there was a period of time where all I wanted to do was just like have a lot of fun in the classroom. And, you know, this was the period of time where I was just playing really loud music. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had, I was always in like neon. And like, it was when, when male yoga teachers still wore short shorts. Oh, and cute. So it was, it was like that. Like, yeah. you know, you came to my class, you would hear some Whitney Houston. I would be in some like cougar see-through vest. It was just a lot. It was a lot of energy, too much energy. So after a while though, just performing that thing, which was popular, right? People came to my class. Sure. I want to go to the class now. (laughs) Like, like that, like that energy, but it it was uh, exhausting. Yeah. Totally exhausting. It's sort of like when you're trying to create energy by like being like a fake cheerleader and putting like, like you got the pom-poms out and you're trying to like rev everybody up and you just sort of, I don't, it's, I'm just thinking of like that, like Saved by the Bell where she's like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so scared. Like <laughs> you can just sort of, you just sort of get to that like energy. It's like too much. Yeah. I'd be exhausted all the time. And it was just not, it wasn't me. It was me performing me to try to rev other people up and take them on this ride. And while I was doing that, I was distracting them away from whatever else they were feeling. So I think it took me a while to figure out, you're like, you know what? This ain't about me. This ain't about people liking me. I, I have all, like everybody, I have all my stuff about wanting people to like me. Yeah. And me going to theater because I wanted you know, as a kid, me going into the drama class or the theater programs, because I want people to look at me and laugh with me and celebrate me and not bully me, which is what they did outside of the classroom. Hmm. And like that sort of stuff was, I think, sneaking into now, okay, I'm in front of people and I'm seeking more approval. Yeah. I'm seeking more. I've more got a applause. live audience here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take it. I want the laughs. I want, yeah. I want everyone to tell me how much they liked it at the end. Like I wanted all that stuff. And it sort of reached a point. I think it was when I had played Bon Jovi in class really loudly. And I thought, you know what? This has run its course. <laughs> like I just tipped the scale. I'm over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's run its course. And me, I called it the Adam show. Like people oh would come gosh. to just like, it, w- it could have been a, an aerobics class. It could have been anything. Yeah. It was like a really fun communal experience, but it was more about me and me entertaining people rather than me creating a space for people. So yeah. that's how I think my, like my theater background and, and how I use it has shifted over the years is that instead of like me, Adam being the performance, the group experience is 
the performance. It's the, the theatrical piece. It's the emotional journey. It's the dance. It's the song. It's what we all create together in the room. Mm-hmm. It's the thing. Yeah. Because sort of like, since I've studied with Jason so long, I spend a lot of time, of course, thinking about what am I going to teach people over a year? What am I going to teach people each month? What, like, what content am I giving? And I still do that. Mm-hmm. But what I've added to it is me thinking like, what is the space I'm creating people for people? What is the space I'm creating for people to be able to feel what they need to feel and go through it mm-hmm. from start to finish? How am I welcoming them in? Where am I taking them? How am I leaving them? You know, like, am I giving them time to like feel? And are we are going to feel together? And I am I creating a space where people are supporting each other so they can have this communal experience? Because that's what I think I always wanted as someone going into the theater is I just wanted to create a, a space where people could laugh together, cry together, feel mm-hmm. together, you know, and and go through something, have some sort of catharsis. Mm-hmm. That was what was exciting for me about the world of theater and drama and performance of, of doing that. And so that is how I think theater affects what I do now is that it's, it's giving people, I, when I teach you know, people about holding space for others, I say like, give them a yellow brick road, give them a, a path they can follow through the class. And you know, there's going to be lots of things that happen along the way. Mm-hmm. And then importantly, at the end, they discover like the power is theirs. Mm. They, can, they can go back. They have all the power. And it's not me. It's not just about Adam mm-hmm. and congratulating yeah. me. It's, it's the, the star of the show is not Adam. The star of the show is the student. And I'm just going to create that space for them to have that, have that experience. I love that. I that so, shows such maturity on your part, and it's also great to hear the story of a teacher. Like, I'm really thank you for sharing that part of like when your teaching started out to where you are now. Because I just, yeah, I think it's important for people to know that you, you just you grow and you change. And I just love hearing this this like very nuanced approach and very necessary approach that you're offering to people. And I wish that I could come take your class. (laughs) And I don't even know if I can with the time change, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I I can try to figure it out. Yeah. 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 And yes, you're right that I, you know, I've never made that connection between like the theater experience and the yoga experience, like the best theater for me, you know, is where you just feel a range of the human experience and it's a pretty amazing thing. And you, like you said, you're with a group of people and you're all feeling it together and, and yeah, you get that in the yoga room too. It's, and, 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 you know, even if you're not all feeling the same thing in the yoga room, you're feeling supported by other people's breath, you're feeling supported by their presence, you're feeling supported by the teacher. And so I like it. Thank you for introducing that concept. Yeah. Well, I just read Kelly McGonigal's book. The Joy of Movement. Oh, I haven't read that. I love her. It's it's fantastic. But there's a chapter in it that sort of blew me away that put all of this in perspective and probably we'll probably wrap up with this, but it was talking about what actually happens when people do group exercise together or group dance or synchronized movement. Because people actually study this. Uh-huh, I'm sure. And they have studied it yeah. for years and there's a lot of consensus about it and there's names for it. And the name for what happens when people do synchronized movement 
with breath, with, with their bodies, like we do in a vinyasa class, is they call it collective joy. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> and, and, what ha- and what happens is when we move together as a group, the boundaries between self and other go away. Hmm. And this is not just poetic hmm. talk. This is what people study, is that the, the sense of self as an individual merges with the group and then there are endorphin rushes and people report you know all these feelings sort of like brewing in their heart and all this wonderful feeling of just simply being together and moving together so if i can do nothing else if i can just create that moment of collective joy for people i what what a what a gift for the student what a gift for the teacher because we're part of it Mm -hmm. You know, what a gift for everybody to have that moment of feeling like, you know what? I'm not alone. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam. It's so great to talk to you. And um, it's so great to have you part of, of Jason's online training that's coming up. And I just can't wait so we can come back to London and, and give you a hug in person. We're going to get all that oxytocin from each I know, other. <laughs> I know. I swear. I literally lately am having fantasies of like hugging my friend, like fantasies of hugging my mom and my in-laws and like, you know, just, it's so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah. give yourself a hug because it still I works. I will. It's true. It's so true. All right. Well, thanks, Adam. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. You can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 224. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, I so appreciate if you can subscribe and share things on Instagram that you enjoy and even write a review and uh, give us a good rating. Super, super duper helps. All right, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm -hmm.